Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me I had bipolar. I was sent home with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using loud music as a form of therapy. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Here we are at Screen Therapy Podcast episode 80.5, a recap of the past 10 conversations I've had with people who linked their involvement in the punk scene with their mental health and the mental health of others. With each of these conversations, I learn more and more about how to maintain stability while living with mental health conditions that I have to manage every day. Like the peer-led support groups I'm part of, talking to other punks about their experiences has been instrumental in my health. My hope is that you, the listener, will find inspiration and feel supported by the stories in these episodes. Here's what happened on episodes 71 to 80. On episode 71, I brought registered psychologist Bobby Ballard onto the podcast to talk about the struggles that musicians and other creative types face in their art. Bobby explained how burnout and creative block are connected and the factors that play into performance anxiety. It feels like the world isn't really cut out for us a lot of the time. So they often feel misunderstood or trivialized. And the other thing is it's just like perpetually vulnerable. If you don't have a thick skin, which I think artists are sensitive. In bands, I've never sung. I'm a drummer. And I'm comfortable hiding behind the drum kit, <laughs> just like doing my thing, right? And to me, the idea of writing lyrics and then singing them into a microphone is absolutely terrifying. So the fact that people do that, I'll have clients and they'll have all kinds of anxiety, but they will stand up on a stage and scream into a microphone. I'm just like, you are a brave person. <laughs> I spoke to Jacob Lilly, vocalist of metalcore band Chamber, on episode 72 about the many benefits of heavy music like hardcore, punk, and metal on emotional and mental stability. Jacob said finding bands like the Acacia Strain and Rotting Out when he was in his teens helped form his identity and gave him the community he needed. Playing music is always something I've always wanted to do, like growing up, whether it be like playing big drums on the couch, listening to music with my dad or whoever, it's always like, I love this. And you do always have doubts, I've learned growing up that life can always be rough no matter what. You kind of want to make yourself happy with what you're doing. Music has been that for me. And people would say that hardcore and and metal is like angry, I would say, but it's not really, you know, it's more than just angry people yelling or like, you know, it's just more than just crazy riffs. It's just something that I've always looked forward to. And I always look forward to playing shows or going to shows no matter what. And it's helped me a lot growing up. Um, And especially now, it's helped me be stable because there's a community behind it. There's a community behind Chamber. Like, there's friendship. If something does happen, you can fall back on and be like, hey, man, like, I'm kind of going through this right now. And there's always someone out there that's probably going through the same thing. Episode 73 featured Low Heaven guitarist Alex Play. He talked about his experiences with support groups and how they're so important to a mental health wellness plan. Alex has attended and facilitated groups and is also a mental health professional who works in group therapy. He says the punk scene and support groups have a lot in common. They both provide a place where people can understand each other and can band together over common struggles. There are two different types of 
these meetings that take place. You know, there's the close where everybody gets a chance to share and it's passed around consistently. And then there's the other type where it's one person is at the front sharing their big story to engage everybody else in it. Both have their places and their importances and one isn't better than the other. They're both just different experiences. I know, and I'm sure everybody else that listens and has been a part of the punk scene as well knows just how important it is to be able to go to see a band that you love and experience the emotion that's coming through that and scream therapy. Like, you know, I go to concerts all the time, as I'm sure most of your listeners do. When my favorite band is up singing my favorite song and I'm in the audience and I'm screaming everything back at them, it is one of the most therapeutic experiences that you can have. And that's not me sharing my stuff. That's me sharing my interpretation of somebody else's therapeutic release, whatever that might be. On episode 74, I was joined by Bill Wilson of Blackout Records, an influential creative force in the New York hardcore scene. Bill struggled with physical and mental health issues throughout his life and found solace in loud, heavy, aggressive bands like Sheer Terror and Breakdown. Bill said the hardcore scene got him through his toughest times. I talk a lot with people about how everybody in hardcore that I've ever met has some kind of damage. And that could be from terrible family upbringing. It could be from alcoholic parents. It could be circumstantial, whether, you know, they were had abuse from clergy or they had abuse from a neighbor or they had abuse from wherever, or they had, as in my case, some debilitating health issues that set people apart from the rest of the world that you realize that you were different and you're an individual and you needed to find a group of people that would be more accepting of you being too smart or too crazy or too creative to fit in with the cookie cutter suburban world. Kansas singer-songwriter Yasmin Nur joined me on episode 75. Yasmin talked about how music helps her control self-harming thoughts and actions. She had her eyes opened by 90s alt-rock and punk bands featuring powerful women. The music changed her life and helped her find a healthier and more stable path. I was putting my body through all these terrible things that I'm so young and I don't need to be doing these things to myself. But I'm like just sitting in my room, like just writhing and like <laughs> pain and all these feelings that I just couldn't get out. And I just started writing music and I see the reaction of my vulnerability. That's the best part. I want to be as vulnerable as possible when I write music because I want people to see that like I feel those intense, extremely dark feelings. Because when you're in those places, you're like, what is going on? Episode 76 featured writer and DC punk hardcore veteran Seth Lorenzi. Seth talked about how some people joined the punk scene as a way to rebuild what he calls a broken contract with a world that failed them. For him, punk is a life orientation rather than just an attitude or style of dress. No one that I knew, certainly, in that time came to punk without some kind of, I like to think of it as a broken contract. This idea that, especially when you're a young kid, there's this notion of how life is supposed to work. And you see that notion on television, you see it reflected in ads or in books of how things are supposed to work out. And that the notion that we live in a just and a fair world I think every single person in the punk scene had had a break with that vision. They came to it with something being broken, with some notion that things weren't really the way that that we have been told they were. 
the punk scene was a place to sort of rewrite that. Destroy Boys guitarist vocalist Violet Mayuba guested on episode 77. Violet talked about eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing therapy, also known as EMDR, and the effect it's had on dealing with her trauma. EMDR has helped Violet replace triggering events, sounds, and even smells with solutions-focused thoughts and actions. A lot of trauma instills these things about you, like, I'm not worthy of love. I deserved what happened to me. I caused it myself. Like, that, that's something that happens to me a lot. And kind of reframing that through the process is really good. I don't really understand the science behind it. I know that bilateral eye movements triggers something in the brain that makes it work. And there's a little bit of somaticism in there. Like, there's some tapping that we do when we're affirming. The new thought that I want to think about myself, we do a lot of replacement where it's like, I think that I don't deserve love. And the, the thing I want to think about myself is I do. Josh Scoggin of 68, not to mention the Chariot and Norma Jean, joined me on episode 78 to tell me how he uses strong emotions and pivots them into creative output. He also talked about finding presence and freedom in writing music and performing live. I see it as like a pendulum swing. And so for me, that's always seemed to feel like what it is. And the further into depression, the further that pendulum swings in the moment, you know, I mean, it feels like this is my world now. This is the reality forever and ever. Amen. This is it. And it feels like that. And even while it's feeling like that, I can at least go, it isn't forever. This is a temporary thing. Because of me allowing it to go where it is, is the thing that's going to make me more creative. Whereas the times where I've really tried to like halt it, you know, it's going into the depression world. So I stop it. I go, no, 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 no. I, 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 I you know, I, I almost fake it. I'm like, go do this, do this. Like those sort of things I find tend to make it just boom. It, and then it sort of takes a minute to get that momentum back up. On episode 79, Author Andrew Thorpe King discussed his book, Failure Rules, The Five Rules of Failure for Entrepreneurs, Creatives, and Authentics. Andrew also runs Thorpe Records and Sailor's Grave Records, and explained how he embraces failure as a learning tool and a way to work towards a better life. I think it's very, very important for people who are struggling with mental health issues is to do their best to detach their identity from the failure events in their life. They are just events, difficult to do, but if you can step out the emotional shrapnel of a failure event that might make you feel as if you are the embodiment of that event and you are the failure and there's no way out and this stain will live on you forever. If you can step outside of that and be a third party observer of the events in your life and just be curious on how you might be able to use them to uh, grow, to stretch, to become multidimensional, to reinvent. I think that's a very important message that is not said a lot. Finally, on episode 80, I welcome to get out of your heads, Brian Sacchetta to talk about his book series and mental health coaching. Brian explains that each person needs to search for their own approaches to help their anxiety and depression. We almost need to develop this strategy and skill inside of ourselves to just say, if something's not working, I'm going to move on. I'm not going to stress out about it. I'm not going to make myself worse. going to try something else out. I have to find something that works and I'm going to stay tenacious. I'm going to stay relentless and in a way, right? Obviously I was, I had my own share of negative feelings where there was doubt and hopelessness and whatnot. 
But I think if you stick to that and you are able to say to yourselves, the fact that a particular tactic is not working for me has nothing to do with my self-worth, has nothing to do with my own skill set or value or anything like that, and you just quickly move on, you know, you get to a solution a little bit faster. I encourage you to go back and listen to these full episodes and many more at ScreentherapyHQ.com. I recently guested on People First Radio, a co-production of CHLY out of Nanaimo, BC and the Vancouver Island Mental Health Society. Here I am being interviewed by People First producer and host, Joe Pugh. This is a People First Radio podcast. Punk rock saved my life is a phrase you'll see often in your book. Can you tell me a bit about the first time maybe you thought that about yourself? Yeah, I lived in a small town. I was growing up here. I'm actually back here now as an adult. And something just didn't feel right. I couldn't find anybody that I really related to. I couldn't understand my surroundings. It didn't seem like it fit with the way that my mind worked. And I think when I discovered punk rock through a friend, one of the only maybe five people in town that even knew what punk rock was, it just opened up my world because the bands were singing about things that I was searching for, whether that was social justice issues or issues around identity and community. And those things just weren't part of my upbringing because this place is a very, sorry, was a very mill-centered, logger-centered, hockey player-centered town. And there wasn't anything for me here. And so I guess, that yeah, it was just a question of finding that through this friend. And then it really opened my eyes up to that world. And I think when I say it saved my life, I use it metaphorically. You know, I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for that music, for that scene. I'm not saying I would be dead. Some folks in the book do say, you know, punk rock really saved my life, literally. But I think that ultimately for me, it was just that whole new perspective and knowing there was something out there that I was could be excited about and to be feeling like there's potential there for me to be a better person. You really get a sense of the ethos of punk rock from reading this book. For someone who hasn't had that experience and isn't already a big punk fan, how would you sum up kind of what punk means? I think when it comes to the core of it, it's about being yourself and not feeling like you have to conform to different parts of society that maybe don't fit for you. It could be anything from veganism. It could be being straight edge, not drinking and doing drugs. It could be looking at different forms of life, different forms of being with people. You know, do we have to always be talking bad about people in, in our lives? Can we shift that and look at the positive? For me, punk was more a way of life, not so much a music style, although the music I listen to predominantly is punk and metal. To me, it was a way of life. It's just about doing it your own way, doing it in a way that seems authentic to you. For me, I always talk about feeling alive. So when I'm feeling most alive, that means I'm in my punk mode. And when I'm feeling like I'm conforming or, or compromising or going against my ethics or just feeling like, ugh, instinctually wrong about something, I'm losing my punk spirit. There was a crisis for you. What would you like people to know about your story and that part of it? I think you have to find ways to not just cope with mental health issues or, or stress or trauma or things that are happening in your life that are causing you to escalate in a way that maybe you're not either comfortable with or maybe don't understand. It's more about than just coping. I mean, you can cope with any kind of behavior. In my case, it was 
you know, it was destructive in some ways and it was not healthy in some ways, even though I was having a blast. I think it's more about trying to deal with stuff right away when you notice it. I let things go so to the point where I didn't know what was going on and I didn't catch anything because I didn't know what it was. And so in my case, because I live with bipolar, I have manic episodes and depressive episodes. So depression was just me feeling really low and, and awful and upset and these things. But I thought they were connected more to my public life and my private life. And I also didn't realize that the manic episodes were, I just thought it was just this amazing, charismatic, funny, full of life, excitable. I wasn't recognizing that the behavior I was involved with and, and undertaking was beyond that. It was above what you call a normal scale of excitement or euphoria. If I'd known that earlier, if I caught it, if someone around me had maybe said, hey, look, like, I think you have to be really aware that when something doesn't feel quote unquote normal, to reach out at that point or to at least examine yourself. And I was oblivious. I was, like I said in the book, I was blindsided. I had no idea even what bipolar was. I'd heard the word, didn't even know the checklist for it. And there are some real maybe evolutions you can get a sense of in the book all through a punk rock lens. But like at one point you write that that you were a guy who thought mindfulness was a scam sold in grocery store magazines. <laughs> and now you're doing breathing exercises while listening to punk rock to ground yourself. Can you tell me about maybe that process? When I was beaten down into dust, I didn't know whether I was going to live or die. I was didn't know what was going on. I was having these horrible, horrible mood episodes after my mental health crisis, which you know, a psychotic break where basically you feel like you've been hammered by a cinder block over the head. And so I need to figure something out. And I tried everything. I mean, it's not a question of me getting out of the hospital and being like, oh, well, just going to start this wellness plan and do this and this and this and yoga. And that's not the case at all. It took me two and a half to three years to figure out how I was even going to make this thing work. And, you know, medication was a very great part of that, but it also took a long time to settle. And I was like, this medication sucks. It's not working. And Ultimately, it was just getting to the place where I accepted my condition was the first major, major piece. Okay, I'm living with this condition. I'm going to live with it for the rest of my life. I'm going to take medication every day for the rest of my life. I'm going to deal with these mood episodes. It's not going to go away. I'm not going to be able to fix it. It's not going to be cured. It's going to be here. And once I accepted that, I was able to really look at the behaviors and the structure and the routines. I think routine, what they call circadian rhythm therapy or social rhythm therapy, was the protector or the thing that really raised me up and gave me a chance to live in stability, r relative stability, which is where I am now. You also talk a lot about some of the language surrounding mental health in your book. There's one point where you're having a conversation about, should we use the word maybe mental health crisis or mental health breakdown? There are a number of other things. Could you just tell me uh, some of your thoughts on the language? Yeah, the pathologized language is something that comes from the medical industry and the psychiatric industry. And I don't think it really fits with me at least. And I know a lot of folks who also say it doesn't fit for them. Using terms like mental health breakdown or I had a nervous breakdown. Well, that's not very empowering, is it? People get down into the rubble of having a quote unquote breakdown. But ultimately for me, it was a crisis. And, and now I'm kind of over that crisis and there could be a crisis again at some point. I mean, I can't guarantee I'm not gonna go into another crisis. But to say it's a breakdown then implies that you're just completely crumbled and broken. You have to work your way back up. And it's not really fair when you're living on a continuum of potentially ups and downs, crisis here, 
stability for six years, another crisis, like to say you have a breakdown doesn't work for me. I mean, some of the other stuff is, you know, the idea of recovery. Well, where are you trying to go from the recovery? You're trying to get back to the way you were before, before you had a crisis. What if you were in peril at that point? I don't want to go back to the way I was before I was in crisis. I want to figure out how to change and, and be a better person. And so the language of transformation came up in the book. The difference between saying mental illness and saying mental health condition. I don't consider myself to be ill or diseased or disordered. I just consider myself to have this condition that I'm living with. And it doesn't mean that I have any less a chance of being well than anybody else. I just got to maybe work on it a bit harder. Is a lot of what people get out of punk rock a sense of togetherness, a sense of community? Like what particularly about punk rock is the added juice to that sense of community? Well, you walk into a punk show and right away people are there to say hi, to talk to you about their favorite bands, to give you a high five. I was scared to go to my first show. It was in Vancouver when I was 19 and I had jitters. I was really afraid that it wasn't going to live up to the expectations that I placed on it because, of course, here in Powell River, there wasn't any shows. So I'd spent several years just listening to the music and not going to any shows. But yeah, you see people that are you know, wearing the same kinds of band t-shirts that you do. You're seeing people that are smiling and, and excited and they, they're there and you're in the mosh pit with them and they're helping you, you know, if, when you fall down, they pick you back up. And that's a really rare thing in society. Obviously, a lot of subcultures that are like that, that are very supportive of each other. And I'm not saying punk is necessarily like a one-of-a-kind anomaly of culture or community, but from my perspective, it was the one that fit for me and the people that I know in, in the scene, and there's, you know, I've met thousands and thousands of punks over the years. They all have that common feeling of being stoked and, and feeling like they can be who they want to be. And it's not going to be looked upon as you're not wearing the right thing or you're not saying the right thing. Punk rock's very open and accepting. And if you don't know where to go and you don't belong or fit in or feel like you belong and you're just kind of a weirdo freak running through life being like, no one else understands me. You walk through the door of a punk show and or you pick up a record by a punk band and right away there's an identification of, okay, well, maybe there's something here for me. Maybe I should just try it on and see how it goes. And then, of course, for someone like me, you know, I've been part of the scene now for more than 30 years. So obviously it fit for me. <laughs> yeah, you really get a sense of some of what you're talking about with the inclusivity piece listening to some of the the songs that you mention in the book. I guess maybe do you think there's a misconception just because punk music is kind of loud and loud <laughs> um, that people think maybe, oh, they're yelling at me and that makes me scared instead of maybe they're yelling at the establishment and injustice. For sure. The loudness and the anger and the chaoticness of the music does turn people off. But I mean, for that matter, there's forms of music that turn me off too. But yeah, I think people do miss the message sometimes that punk rock isn't about being violent. It's more talking about the things that it wants to rally against and injustices in the world. And there's always exceptions. There's some punk bands that sing about stuff that I don't agree with at all. But, you know, I remember first time I heard Propaganda in a punk band from Winnipeg and inside the CD cover was anti-sexist, uh, pro-gay, vegan-friendly. I was like, wow, like this is, <laughs> wow, someone can say this on their CD? There's really that sense of they're doing it. They're saying that thing that I want to say. It makes it okay. And, and that's 
I think missed with a lot of people that listen to it or hear it. There's a lot of a disconnect there, I think. It almost feels like you need to be introduced to it. In, like in the book, there are, I guess, a number of these you could look at as sacred moments. Can you tell me about just that, maybe the initiation into punk moment? The initiation, whether it's at 13 years old or 50 years old, is feeling like things make sense, feeling like you have something to hold on to. A lot of people will find the punk rock ethos in their lives much later. I mean, you hear about people who quit their jobs when they're 40s, 50s, 60s, because they just can't take it anymore. And then they go and sail the world and they do their own thing. And to me, that's punk rock. I wanted to also ask more generally in society about the way we address mental health issues. You wrote, we need tasked action plans for addressing mental health issues. This face value, are you okay stuff isn't doing the trick. Can you tell me more about what you think we can do better? As a whole, we really have to stop falling into the patterns or, or the cliches that we have for so many years where we'll do this mental health awareness week campaign, which is actually just recently. And there's not a lot of staying power there. You know, it goes away for another year. For me, obviously, mental health day is every day because I live with it every day. And I think that's the case for folks that have mental health conditions, of which, you know, one in four people have at least some sort of mental health condition. I would argue that's more than that because, you know, like we haven't talked to everybody. We can't just help people or give them advice or we can't just say, oh, we understand. I understand what you're going through. Oh, I have mood swings too. I, you know, that's not the same as having bipolar. I have days that I'm really feeling depressed. Well, that's not the same as having clinical depression. We need to understand that these are conditions that need to be treated in a way that isn't just normalized, but also isn't pathologized on the other side so much that these people like me feel like we're patients, that we're being like taken care of all the time. We need to have some empowerment as well. I just have to live my life and be good to the people around me. There's a culture of not being good to people around you. And that's why I got off of social media. There's a culture of being awful towards each other and not taking time to actually get to know each other and to empathize with each other and to ask, how are you doing? Well, where do we go from there? We say, oh, we're fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then the day goes on. But you're not going to say, I feel like I'm going to die. You're not going to say, like, I, I want to die. You're not going to say, I'm feeling so anxious that I can't even leave my house, but I'm here at the grocery store and you're asking me if I'm okay. And I'm saying, yes, <laughs> you know, like, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. But go back home and crawl under the blankets again. So A, we're being awful towards each other as a culture. B, we're not taking the time to really get to know each other. And we're not being nice to each other, essentially. So what do you think maybe one person could do to not contribute to that culture of being awful to each other? Don't sit behind your computer and look for trouble would be one. Be nice to someone that you don't know. Be nice to a person that maybe has said something or has acted a certain way or dresses a certain way that you don't like for whatever reason. Get rid of your own biases for, for a minute or two and take time to really open up to somebody and see, give them the benefit of the doubt. Way more easy if you're not online because you're not seeing a lot of that conflict or, or chaos that goes on. Just taking time to give people some, some empathy and some, I don't want to say love, give them some love. Come on, peace, happiness, and love. <laughs> Punk rock style. If we were standing there all metaphorically 13 at cool older Jason's house, what would the record he would hand to us be? <laughs> the one record? You're really asking me for one record? 
Yeah, no, I, I don't actually I don't hesitate. It would be Fugazi. They're a band from Washington, DC. Probably my well, my favorite band of all time. Just gonna say it, even though there's so, so, so many. A record called In on the Kill Taker is completely mind blowing, completely ahead of its time, musically, socially, politically. And that would be the one that I would let them drop the needle on the wax and pay it forward from the guy that let me drop the needle onto Black Sabbath's first album. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks for having me. Jason Schurz on his new book, Scream Therapy, A Punk Journey Through Mental Health. For more episodes of Screen Therapy, go to ScreenTherapyHQ.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Big news, the Screen Therapy book is available now. Screen Therapy, A Punk Journey Through Mental Health, tells my story and the stories of others who use punk as a catalyst for mental health. Like this podcast, it links the community-minded punk scene with the mental wellness of the punks who belong to it. To order the book, go to ScreenTherapyHQ.com. For merch, check out the newly opened store at ScreenTherapyHQ.com store. And for even more designs, check out Screen Therapy on TeePublic. Okay, enough promoting. It's time for some thanking. Thank you for listening to Screen Therapy. Doing this podcast and talking to folks about punk rock and mental health has been a crucial part of my own mental stability, and it means so much to me that you're out there listening. Screen Therapy is created in the Cathet region of coastal British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional territory of the Klahaman Nation. Contact me at ScreenTherapyHQ.com or email me at ScreenTherapyPodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Let's talk about punk rock and mental health. Until next time, take care and be well. Yeah.